The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. Glad you're all here today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9, where we come to a a passage of Scripture, a text that is... um, extremely difficult to make an interpretation on. The Lord has landed me somewhere, and I think, I think it is sound and believe it is sound, and I hope uh, that brings some clarity to you from one of the hard places in the Bible to read and go, man, what in the world is going on in this, this particular chapter? Um, so <laughs> last night, I had to go pick up Caitlin over at the Haddock's house, she was babysitting for them, Shay's birthday, and so she was babysitting for them, and you guys hear me talk about, um, I have two loving companions, obviously there's Abby, whom I'd be lost without, and there's Red Dog, <laughs> yeah, and, and I've really bonded well with this dog, and so anyway, I like to take him places with me, he likes to get out of the house. He loves to go over to the Haddock's um, home because their dogs, the two dogs, their dog, not my, our dog loves to play. And so I'm trying to teach Red how to jump in the back of the truck. He, he's a giant dog. He's over 100 pounds now, right? He's big, big frame dog. And uh, like just, just a fun dog, bloodhound, big droopy ears. And so we're, we're over at their house and we're leaving. And I told Caitlin, I said, get up in the back of the truck so I can get Red to jump up there. I'm trying to teach. She said, no, I'm too tired and got in the front. Immediately reclined her seat. So I I ran up a couple of times and he ran up and stopped. And he ran up and stopped. I said, well, what what I'll do is I'll run and I'll jump and he'll jump with me. (laughs) And so I ran and I jumped and I went into the bed of the truck and Red Dog went... (laughs) He looked at at me, and I got myself up, and I stood up, and as soon as I stood up, he jumped in the truck. (laughs) So, I mean, just flat-footed, just boop. So, uh, I was deceived into thinking that I could still jump into that truck like I easily could not too long ago, right? And so, deception is a funny thing. I find the older that I get the more my eyes deceive me in things. I think I'm seeing something, I'm like, and I get up to it, and I was like, what in the world? Like, I was so off on that. What is going on? And so deception is, is really interesting. Um, to deceive means to cause someone to believe something that is not true, typically in order to gain some personal advantage. And so we can really use deception in a bad way to take advantage of people um, and and so that's kind of what's going on. Or we could just believe something sometimes, and we don't realize that there is a force behind it that is taking advantage of us. The Scripture teaches us in Galatians chapter 6, um, verses 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, and whoever sows to please their flesh... From their flesh will reap destruction, and whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So I look at the world oftentimes, and I, I see a lot of, a lot of things that I, I just, man, I have a hard time going, how is this happening? 
how can I feel like I see so clearly and there be so many things that seem to be so far off about our existence, about the purpose of the world, about morality, like just all kinds of things. And I, it, it can get real heavy for me and, and discouraging. And I, I, one of the things I love, it really that sort of led me through and, and even teaching you guys through the book of Revelation is I think it helps us understand this a lot. I think it helps us understand what is going on in the world around us. And so I, um, I believe that uh, there's some really cool things that, that, that we're going to learn today. I got the whiteboard out. Y'all ready to learn something? Yeah. All right, good. <laughs> I hope I can get it done. Uh, <laughs> so um, there's a real interesting passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 10. Okay, so Jesus, he's got the disciples. He's been working with them and discipling them up, um, his followers at that time for for quite a while. They've seen him do some miraculous stuff. And he, he, as part of their discipleship, he sends them out. And there's a group of 70 of them, and he sends them out and by twos and, and tells them to go out and share the gospel, the good news. And when we get to um, verse 17, these 70 people, they return from the mission that the Lord sent them out on. And it says, the 72 returned with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, this is very important. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son. And watch this. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so nobody can even know who Christ is and be in a relationship with him and understand truth unless the Lord reveals himself to them. And then he turned to his disciples and he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And so Jesus says, man, I saw Satan falling um, like lightning to the, really what he's saying is like a prophecy that how he will change the realm from which he operates. And he says, don't be rejoicing that the, the demons were subject to you and you were able to have authority over them. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life because that can't happen unless I choose you and, and you enter into a relationship with me. And uh, so a lot of people, 
A lot of people take this out of context, and there have been many a person who's probably died by trying to handle a snake because Jesus said that. I think there's a video out there of this guy. <laughs> he's a preacher, and he's, uh, he's handling a snake, and he's rebuking it in the name of Jesus as it proceeds to bite him in the neck a couple of times. <laughs> and they carry him out of, the cr- out of the church. So that's not what this is teaching, Okay. I want you to like understand that Jesus said something about snakes and scorpions and connecting that with demonic control. Um, now, there's a little survey that um, I read this week that I, I thought was really interesting. And this is just a couple of snippets out of it. Of an estimated 176 million American adults who identify as Christian... Just 6% or 15 million of them actually hold a biblical worldview. A new study from Arizona Christian University shows. And then dropping down in the article, it says this. Some 62% of self-identified born-again Christians contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but is merely a symbol of God's power presence, or purity. Another 61% say that all religious faiths are of equal value, and 60% believe that if a person is good enough or does enough good things, they can earn their way into heaven. All these positions challenge a biblical worldview. Now, that's that, that's of the people who say that they are Christians. So you hear me often talk about um, spiritual ignorance and that, that the people, like, they just don't understand what the Bible teaches. And, and it's, it's, it's crazy how many people that you think really know what the Word says, and you kind of assume. And, and frankly, there may be some of you that are in that category. You may think some of these things. You may think, well, when you think Holy Spirit, that's just God. You know, that's kind of His power. That's not, that's not right theology. The Holy Spirit is God, okay? Jesus is God. God the Father is God. So when we say we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit... We are saying God lives in me, like he moved in me. We're not saying I'm influenced by God's power that is out there in the universe. No, I have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb and the Lord lives in me. So when we get to Revelation chapter 9, we begin to see some things, and there are different ways to come at this text, but I'm gonna, I, I don't have time to give you all the different ways today. I'm going to give you where, I, where the Lord has led me and how, how I understand it. But I think it explains a lot of um, what we're experiencing now that are sort of uh, could potentially be birth pains and how it's going to move forward. So remember when I shared with you several weeks ago about the different ways to come at the book of Revelation. They all end out the same way, which is judgment and eternity. And they all, they all have this progression of things are... are are, are great, and then they go through a period of, of getting really bad, okay? 
And then the return of Christ happens. So when we get to this passage, and sometimes I, sometimes I get, uh, isn't this cool? I didn't, really, uh, I didn't really want to use the whiteboard. I just wanted to do that. Uh, uh, so, so, uh, so I read these passages of text. Like there's a, there's a passage in the Bible where, where Jesus comes across the lake, and there's this demoniac, man, and he's up on the hillside. He's running around naked and cutting himself, and they can't keep him bound. And he runs down, and he, tries to, he scares the disciples. He doesn't scare Jesus. Jesus deals with him, right? And... So there are things like that, and then there's other passages. My son, man, he, he's, he, can you help me? This demon takes control of him, causes him to like, you know, go into convulsions. He often throws himself into the fire, tries to kill him. Like, it's like he's trying to hurt himself, and I can't do anything. And, and Jesus says, man, that, your disciples, you tried to help him. They couldn't do it, and Jesus said, that only comes out by prayer and fasting. And so you read that, and you go, well, like, what? I never, I never seen anything like that. I, I, the closest thing I've ever seen to a demon possession was I was preaching a youth camp um, one year, and this this kid he was older than all the other kids, and he he came in and he many he got he he said he met the Lord and got right with the Lord, and and so he the camp director wanted him to give his testimony. Um, and so after I preached one of the sermons, this this young man starts giving his testimony, and then. Then he starts saying stuff that is uh, it's not right, like it's not true. And it's bad, like you got all these young people and he's contradicting the word. And the camp director gets up and goes up to him and tries to, he's trying to get, get him and the guy keeps moving away from him. And so like I'm sitting there watching all of this and, and he doesn't want him stopping and he just keeps going. And at first people were amening him, right? But then, then it was apparent that there was confusion and so, like, I got to help this guy. Like, I, I, what am I supposed to do? So I thought, well, I'll just cut him off. And so I immediately just got him and said, hey, I, with, as the camp director came up to him and he was moving away, I just put my arm. I said, hey, man, let's go outside and talk, just me and you. And so I took him outside, and, and we, the camp director, obviously, I don't know what happened in there, but I went outside with him, and he's like, man, and he's, he was real worked up and angry that the camp director took the microphone from him. And and he was like, man, I, I had something to say. And I started to tell him, man, you were saying things that don't line up with the word. And he was like, no, man, the Lord has did this and blah, blah, blah. And I started to, I don't even remember what passage of scripture I read, but I started to read some scripture. And this guy was like, he was just really like this. And as I read the word, man, his countenance went from red to a pale white. And, and he just said, I got to go. I got to go. And he left. I thought that was weird, man. It was really weird. That's the closest I've got to anybody uh, going into convulsions or anything. And so I re- <laughs> thank you, Lord. <laughs> That's as close as I need to be. <laughs> and so I often read these passages of Scripture, and I go, well, you know, this is going on. Why, why don't we see those things? Why, why aren't we casting out demons like they were in that day and time? And, and my mind tries to figure out a way. And so this, this is something that the Lord has kind of, where I've landed on that, the Lord has taught me. And, and it, I, like I says what I feel, and I feel, I feel like it's right. Um, is that, so we, if we just take this as a, a timeline, and I'm making this up as I go, so give me grace. 
This is before Christ. All right, and we'll call this the cross after his death, which I know AD doesn't stand for that, but that's what I'm talking about. The world is really dark. It's a dark world. And so evil has its way. And things are easy for evil. Because the world is dark. It's just a dark place, man. They believe crazy things. They believe in all kinds of different gods and all this weird stuff is going on. And so inner Christ... He comes, and what does he refer to himself? One of the, the metaphors he uses. I am the light of the world. And he sends the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit illuminates. And so we, after Christ rises from the dead and the Spirit of God moves into us, we have illumination. As Jesus is the light of the world. So now, the prince of darkness has to contend with Jesus living in people that get saved. And the church is born, and thousands of people at the day of Pentecost become followers of Jesus, and immediately the church comes out of the ground, and, and the world gets bright, like, the world gets bright here. So we, we've been living for 2,000 years with light. And I think the light ebbs and flows according to what? According to whom the Father has revealed Jesus to and the Spirit of God is indwelt in them. And so believers bring the light of the world because God moves into them as they're forgiven of their sin. So the reason I think that we don't see some of the things that we see that are so easily dark is because the enemy that we face has be, had to become much more strategic. Like believers are, people aren't, a lot of people are not gonna just fall for this, like this, um, archaic way of how the enemy did things. And so now it's going to be more about distraction. Now it's going to be more subtle. Now it's going to be, what can we do as an evil force to keep more light from coming into the world? We can keep more people from coming to know Jesus. Because if they come to know Jesus, man, then they know the truth, and the truth has set them free, and they will go out and they will wreak havoc on the kingdom of darkness. That's what happens when a person gets, they, they leave the kingdom of darkness and they come to the kingdom of light. And so what, as the world progresses and moves forward, and we're going to see this in, in Revelation, it begins to return. It, this, I think this fades. And darkness returns. Now, as long as, the, as they're believers on the planet, there's light in the world, right? So there's always hope. But we see it, at, I almost envisioned it going like this with light and beginning to fade back, back down. I believe 
that we may be living in a time of great fading. I think that's the, the statistics that I shared with you bear that out. I think that when we see believers saying that they love Jesus, but their lives and the way that they're making decisions don't have anything to do with Jesus, I think it, is, um, it, 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 it further um, bolsters up the claim that I'm making here that the, that the light is fading. And the book of Revelation begins to tell us how some of these things happen. And so when we get to Revelation chapter 9, there's some weird pictorial language in here, okay? That, that you, like, we, I, I, that as I read it, this is how I understand it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to read from chapter 9, and I'm going to give you some explanation along the way, and then we're going to come back, and I'm going to give you some takeaways about, you know, what do we do with this? How does this impact us on a daily basis? And so we've had up to this point, we've had four trumpets that have been blown um, out of the, the seventh seal that is being opened. And it says, the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And so the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. The abyss is the pit, the dark place, the abode of the demonic. So for a Christian and a Christian biblical worldview is that things prior to the flood, things were even darker than they were here. I mean, there was some jacked up stuff going on when the human race was created back in the story of Genesis. And the flood happens because man had become so sinful. And at that point, there are a lot of demons that had originally fallen with Satan that were corrupting humanity. And they were, they were very powerful beings. And so the scripture teaches us that, that demons have different power and different authority. Even the angelic realm, which a demon is just a fallen angel, they have different power and different authority. We talked last week about the seven angels that stand in the presence of God. And I, I established how um, Gabriel was one of those. He said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of the Lord. And so some of these demons at this particular time in biblical history, when the world like, was so evil, were bound and locked up. The grace of God, and, and one of the things I like about this is, is that the Lord is in control of all of this. Because the, the angel that falls, if this is indeed Satan, he falls like a star and the keys are given to him. Very early on in chapter 1 or 2, I don't remember what it was, but Jesus is appearing to John and he says, um, it is the description of Jesus is that he has the keys of death and Hades. So the key is allowed to be given to the enemy. And this is all to play out. And so you go, look at this. Well, God, why would God do this to us? And why would God allow? Because this thing is not about you. It's about him. And if we, don't, if we don't start there and realize, man, my existence is about the Lord. It's, it's, it's not his existence is about me. I got to come to the Lord and know, man, I, I'm here to do one thing. I'm going to either bring glory to the Lord or I'm going to take glory away from him. If I take glory away from him, I'm giving his glory that he is due to the, the fallen enemy. And so, um, so, so this, this the, the Lord is sovereignly in control of all of this. So as we read some of this, you go, oh, geez, what in the world is going on? Remember, always remember the Lord is in, in control of this. And so what does he do? Down in this pit, 
where a lot of this demonic stuff is being held back by God right now. He opened the abyss and smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. To me, like when this happens, like things are, things are, they are discouraging, but still the church is here, man. And, and the church has some problems here and there. And there are probably some churches that are already starting down the road of apostasy and not true to the word. But the church still has a powerful presence, the body of Christ here on the planet. There's a time, man, when this abyss gets unlocked, like the world is going to start getting really dark. And that's what that smoke is about. Like that smoke comes out and it darkens the light to me. That's the way I understand it. And the sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and they were given power like that of the scorpions of the earth. Remember what Jesus said? Don't, don't like you, the scorpions won't be able to harm you. That's what he told his disciples when he had sent them out and they returned. And it says they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads, okay? So the locusts are not bugs because bugs eat grass, and these things don't eat grass. They're coming to bring a delusion upon human beings, upon the race of humanity. And as they come, they are told... You do not, like, don't be messing with the grass and all of that. Like, you, what you're doing, like, what these demonic forces will do at that time is they will delude the thinking of people, okay? But the sealed of God are not harmed by them, which means that if I know the Lord, I don't need to be worried about, oh, man, like, if you know the Lord, you don't have to be worried about being deceived. But if you don't know the Lord, deception is going to be, like, running rampant, Okay? And so that's what these things do. Let's, let's look and see how they're described a little bit more. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of the scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. Like they'll, they'll be in this, like people will be in a position, and, and again, like I don't think that they just get stung. I think there's a lot of mental um, and emotional turmoil going on. There's a lot of, like the darker things get and the more darker people get, man, the more they just, they can't tolerate the way things are, and they will long to die, but they won't have the courage to take their lives. It's kind of like the state that is being described. And it says, <laughs> the locusts look like horses prepared for battle, which means they are extremely powerful. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold. This is the Stephanus crown, which means they, they look like they are being victorious. They were obtaining some kind of victory. And their faces resembled human faces. What To me, I understand that is that they are... They are going, there will be a lot of people who are influencing other people, but behind that influence is demonic control. They're being released, and they're, they're swaying people away. Their hair was like women's hair. <laughs> this is weird, man, right? But what is it? Why does that pictorial language there? Because they are desirable. Like, the humanity will look to them and want them. And their teeth are like lion's teeth. 
They will be desirable and they will look, but they will devour you. They have breastplates like breastplates of iron, which means that they, they are hard to do battle against. It becomes more and more difficult to destroy this work. And the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. And so John is seeing this vision as this sixth trumpet is being blown, man, and this force, this evil force is coming out of the abyss. And it says they had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power to torment the people for five months, and they had as king over them the angel of the abyss whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek Apollyon, that is destroyer. Okay, so the prince of darkness is leading this rebellion. And we know that Jesus said, the thief cometh not in John chapter 10, and he's teaching about himself being the good shepherd. And he says, the thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, and destroy. And so this demonic force that is like during the church age that we're living in right now, it is held captive in this moment in time. We are not dealing with that force. But we can begin to see the lesser power of that force working behind the things in the world today. And we, we look even at our own country and we see the division and we see how difficult it is to get people on the same page. We see how morally corrupt it seems that many even in leadership positions are. And we see things that are happening. Like, it, it, like I wonder often, is this the beginning of the birth pains? Jesus said, you look at the uh, fig tree and you can tell what season it is by the leaves on the tree. And he says, if you look around you and watch what's going on around you, you will be able to determine the seasons, Okay. Again, I'm not prophesying and saying, hey, man, we are in the birth pains. But I am being obedient to do what Jesus said. You need to pay attention and you need to be watchful because you will begin to see these things happening. And it seems to be that there is a great delusion. We read this text about this um, study that was done by Arizona Christian University. And we see, man, that even within the church, there is a strong spirit of delusion. And so we, we see, man, maybe it is. The first, the first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice come from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. And it said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Okay. Again, fallen angels. You say, well, how do you know they're fallen? Because nowhere in Scripture is a, a, an angel that does the will of God bound. These are bound, and they are released. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. And the number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. I think it's like 200 million. Now, there are some who believe that there will actually be a 200 million man person army, and that could contain people who are supporting the army, but that is a very, like, that is, that is a, an astronomical number. Um, and I believe that, there, that war could be a part of this and an army could be a part of it, but I believe that these are, these are evil forces and it just, this, this number this is, is symbolic to say they were, there were so many you couldn't count them. Like, I couldn't put a number on them, but the number, if I was going to try, it would be something like this, is what John is saying. And the horses and the riders I saw in my vision look like this, and they're very similar to the locusts. Their breastplates were, 
were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. Now, this becomes really important. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouth, out of their mouth came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, okay? So coming out of their mouth and coming out of their tail. Um, the, for their tails were like snakes. Remember the scorpions and snakes? You'll have power to have authority over them. The power of their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict injury. Okay, so... We got a mouth coming off the head. We got a mouth coming off the tail. And the rest of the mankind, and it closes out this way. Let me stop there. Let me give an explanation of this. So, so here's what I believe those, this, this trumpet represents. Is that this second wave that is released, just like Jesus, when he comes and brings judgment, he comes with a flaming sword out of his mouth. But this is a sword that we look at, and it brings death. Now, what is death? Well, we have physical death, and we have spiritual death. And spiritual death is if a person doesn't know the Lord, they're spiritually dead. If they die physically in that spiritual state, they are forever sealed as dead to God. They will be forever separated from him. And so these, this infliction, and it may involve physical death, but it certainly involves spiritual death. And a third of mankind at this point, those who are not sealed because they are protected because the Lord knows them. They are, they are sealed to know God, but a third of mankind is sealed. It may involve a tremendous amount of physical death as well, uh, but the spiritual death is their consciences are seared. They have rejected God, and, and they this this demonic force is unleashed upon them to seal their fate. You say, why is this happening? I don't like to think about God like this. Because justice is coming on the unrepentant. And that's like, so we don't go, well, like it's, it's disturbing. And it's meant to be disturbing, but at the same time to be encouraging. To be encouraged that, man, as these things begin to unfold in the world, you need to be encouraged if you, if you are among the sealed of God. But you need to be disturbed if, if, if you are among the sealed of God and you know people who are not sealed. And you need to be thinking about them. And you need to be thinking about the world getting dark and your friends being influenced by a lot of things that they don't even really quite understand. And they say things that are really strange and, and, and that, that don't balance out logically. You can't make a logical conclusion to the, some of the things that they believe in. And so the Lord is trying to speak to the church about how things are going to play out and what our responsibility is. And, and I think that this, um, um, I think that this, 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 Stuff coming out of the mouths of these horses and the tails is heresy. It's, it's people who claim to know the Lord and claim to teach the word of God, and they're teaching something else, and you can't make heads or tails of it. They're talking out of both sides of their mouths. That's why there's a head and the tail, and there's a head in the mouth. And when you get a person that does that, you can't get anything done, right? Like, man, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. This doesn't work. And so I look around and it starts to help me understand how, 
how can a church that appears to be doing like all these great things, but they're teaching something that I know in my heart that it does not, like it's not supported by the word of God. How can that happen? It is because there is a delusion going on. There is a transition. Something has shifted and people are, are they're not like they're being led, okay, by forces of evil. And so what is the result? As God is bringing this, this, this to bear. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Now, what's fascinating about this magic arts, your translation may say sorcery, it's the word pharmakia. It's the word we get for pharma, a pharmacy or pharmaceuticals. And I think I would, I would, I would, I think it's safe to make an interpretation that a lot of this will be led about by the abuse of drugs in our culture. Okay, that it will, it will, it will, people will get deeper and deeper into that and it will cause a further and further um, delusion of proper thinking when it comes to truth. And so as we look at all of this and, and we go, all right, what's, what's going on here? Well, here are a few things, okay, a few things to take away. And I think I've pretty well summed up the first one. As the world gets darker, deception gets deeper, and hearts get harder. That's just what's going to happen. Okay, so all of these things, this is fascinating, man. All of these things parallel the plagues of Egypt when God was leading the children of Israel out of bondage into their own homeland, that all of this stuff is a type of what will happen spiritually, happens to Israel physically. And these 10 plagues, like they parallel a lot of these things. There was a plague of locusts. There was a plague of darkness. There's a plague of death. All of these things happened. But what happened to Pharaoh's heart and all of it? It just kept getting harder and harder and harder and harder. And ultimately, his fate was sealed because he rejected the truth of God. And so as we look at this, the darker the world gets, the easier it is to deceive. And the darkest hour is just before dawn. So as things progress toward the return of Christ, it will continue to get darker and darker and darker and darker. Are you encouraged yet that I've said how dark the world's getting, get right? It is what it is. But if you are the sealed of God, there's no fear in this. And what's taking place is the judgment is on unbelievers who continue to reject Jesus. Believers who are present will suffer during this time. But the scripture says that we are never more like Christ than when we join him in his sufferings. So we're not guaranteed any protection from suffering physically, but we are guaranteed spiritually that we are protected and we are covered by the blood and we are secure in our salvation. And no matter what we face, we can handle it, okay? But this judgment has to take place because, and, and we look at that and we go, why would God do that? Because God wants men to come to him. And so things will progressively get worse, but in order for God to retain all of the attributes of his holiness and his righteousness and his justice 
in order for, for the most vile, evil person, the person uh, uh, that, that, that does things that we can't even wrap our minds around, molests children and murders a serial killer or whatever, that person, if he doesn't know Jesus and doesn't come to a place of repentance in his life, we easily can say, that, that guy right there needs to suffer at the wrath of God. But so does the liar. And that's what makes us uncomfortable because we've all lied. But if God is God and he tells us not to lie and we lie, then we deserve the wrath of God. And the only way to escape the wrath of God is to get saved. Saved from what? Saved from his wrath. How do I get saved? I confess that I believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. He died on the cross of Calvary. He is the light of the world. He has illumined my mind, and now I'm walking in truth. My life is surrendered and laid down on the altar, and I say, I'm yours, Jesus, your Lord and Savior now, and my sins are forgiven. Not because I'm good, not because I go to church. I begin to try to live a good life and, and follow the Lord because of what he's done in me, and I want to honor him and bring glory to him, and I want to resist this darkness that exists in the world because that's not the kingdom I belong to. That is the kingdom of darkness, and I'm a part of the kingdom of light. And so the only thing we can do is receive the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we receive him, we begin to follow him. And, and so like we see that, man, the, the world gets darker, deception gets deeper, and hearts get harder. Here's the second takeaway. We gotta get this. Idols are demonic tools used to deceive people. That's what an idol is. And it is a demonic tool that is used in the great deception. The enemy's objective is to keep people spiritually ignorant. If he can keep them there, he keeps the world darker. The more they understand the truth of the word of God and the more light shines in their lives, the more dangerous they become for the kingdom of darkness. You say, well, what is it? No idols in our house. <laughs> like, we don't have any of those things. What is an idol? Okay. Um, an idol, according to this, if you drop down to verse 29... They still did not repent of the work of their hands. An idol is the work of your hands without the Lord. That's what an idol is. So my, an idol is my life, what I'm investing in my life apart from the Lord. The seal of God should be consumed with with who the Lord Jesus Christ is and they're walking with him and they realize that what they put their hands to is to be a part of the kingdom. Whether I'm at work, I'm a, I'm a citizen of the kingdom. I'm raising my kids, I'm a citizen of the kingdom. My, the, the way that I, I, I react to my spouse, I'm a citizen of the kingdom. And so my, the work of my hands becomes something that the Lord is a part of in everything. But the great delusion is it doesn't matter what you do with the work of your hands as long as you go to church on Sunday. That's the delusion. That's the lie. That's the deception that the enemy is. And so if, if we teach people that and we just try to raise money so that the church can get bigger and we can do all of these things and we're not teaching them how to think biblically, then what happens is the church itself gets deluded. The people think that they are following Jesus and they're really following themselves and looking at Jesus to forgive them of everything they do and never listen to what Jesus asked them to do with their lives. And that's not a picture of New Testament Christianity. 
That's a picture of, of Western Christianity. That's why when you survey 176 million people, they think the Holy Spirit is not a real, um, like it's not God, that he's just some source or power of God, that he doesn't actually live in us. And so we need to understand what in the world is an idol. An idol is anything that I put my hands on apart from the Lord. And this is evil's modus operandi to keep people from truth. Because if he can keep them from discovering the truth that will set them free, they are dead spiritually. Okay? So like when we're looking and interacting with people, we have to be able to think biblically. And, and this, is not, this is not a sermon where you start making judgment on, judgments on your friends as to whether or not they are dead or alive in Christ. You, it's not about you judging them. It's about you caring for them. And it's about you going, I am alive in Christ. And then the people I'm interacting with, are they alive in Christ? And, and we need this, man. We need it because the, the deceiver is roaming about and he is attacking people who have been illuminated with the truth. Why would he attack them? He's not messing with people who are in darkness. He is not messing with people who are doing nothing for the kingdom. But the more we advance the kingdom of Christ, the more illumination that comes to the planet and the more dangerous we become to the enemy that we face. And so then there is spiritual attack. And that's why Paul says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and, and principalities and darkness in heavenly places. And so we know that from the book of Job that, the, that Satan is the accuser that comes to God. Right now he has access to God and he accuses us before the Father. And Jesus will say, nope, that one's mine. And he might not say that <laughs> if you don't belong to him. Well, what happens in the future, what we're looking at is he falls, he is cast out of the presence of God, his time is short, the world will get darker as he goes into a violent rage and all of the demonic forces that know they are facing judgment. This is why in that demonic story with Jesus, he says, don't send us into the abyss, Lord. They know who he is. Send us into the pigs. Remember that story? Because so, they know they're heading toward this climactic event as well. So we are heading toward this climactic event, and this, 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 um, this punishment is coming, and we have to realize that the enemy, the, the, like he will get stirred up and more and more stirred up trying to um, battle against all that is good and God and all that he has created. Now, here's the thing. The work of our hands, when it, so we can work in my hands, it could be my home, it could be my kids, it could be my job, it could be money, it could be hobbies. Now, none of those things inherently of themselves are evil as long as we are doing these things with the Lord. As we go along, we are incorporating the Lord in our relationship uh, to him, and, and that's what is keeping us walking the way that he desires for us to walk. Here's the deal. If we don't do that, idols cannot see, hear, or walk, neither can those who worship them. And the idol can't see, hear, or walk. This is what they're being rebuked for. And, and, and so, like, we have to understand that, man, if a person has been deceived and they don't even realize that they are involved in idol worship, that they're worshiping something they cannot see, hear, or talk, and they themselves, because of their worship, cannot see, hear, or talk to God. They are dead, spiritually. And so this begins to go, what? Now, as I'm reacting with people and interacting with them, I must, be I must understand that the Lord is not asking me to become an evangelist in their life to where I'm standing up on a pulpit and trying to preach at them all the time. 
The Lord is asking me to think biblically and to understand there is a separation of the saved and the lost, and we are to be a part of the kingdom of Christ that is helping to illuminate the people who are living in darkness because the light is supposed to be all around us as we walk in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. The sealed are to be alive to God. The frightening thing is, and we started with the the letters to the seven churches, is that many in the church will not repent of their compromising attitude toward this idolatrous culture. The wheat, Jesus said, should grow up with the tares together. And this, OPCC, this is why it is so essential for the church to be built on the word. As we plant, like this cross is sitting out here in the parking lot. Just let me tell you what that means to me. It doesn't mean to me, look at what we have done. Look at what uh, we have been able to build. Look at what we, as a matter of fact, we didn't even think that we were going to be able to build it. Like the thing just kept growing and the Lord was like doing his thing and then we thought it was gonna die and then all of a sudden we had the money to do it and we're in the midst of it. And, And you know what I think it says? I think it just draws a line in the ground. And it says of the story of transformation, and it says there is a church here. There is a church that is committed to teaching the word of God. And there are people in this community that believe the word of God. And the Lord is moving in the midst of it. And it is going to make an extremely bold statement to a world that there are people who are living that are captivated by darkness, and they are being deluded by teaching that is heretical, and they need to come out of that. Or they could be sealed and forever separated from God if they don't know the truth and the truth has not set them free. And so it's a big deal what we're doing. And we ought to be praying that, man, as that thing goes up, as that people who are in our community that are looking for the truth, the Lord would bring them to us and we would be able to teach them the truth of God. We'd be able to disciple them in the ways of Jesus and they would go out and they would bring light to the dark world. And that brings us to the big idea. Misplaced dreams are a nightmare. They just are. Well, what do you mean by that, Jimmy? I mean, I mean that we can get passionate about something that is driven and rooted in our flesh and leave the Lord out of it. And if we don't get refocused and let the Lord drive our dreams, then those dreams will become nightmares, man. And so like, we've got people who... They're focusing on the dreams of their lives that we're doing life with that are living all around us. And if we misplace our dreams, then it's very easy for them to misplace their dreams as well. And so we have to understand that we are uh, in a spiritual war and the deception, deception is the language of the destroyer. And so we look at this gruesome picture and it's designed to teach us that idolatry is dangerous and that we have to avoid it and we have to understand what really is important in our lives. Jesus labeled the Pharisees in the New Testament. You brood of vipers whose father is the devil. Why did he say that? This sounds very harsh. He said it because they altered the word of God and made it say something that it did not say. We, if we know the Lord, 
are the sealed of God. And we are protected from the harm that is described. However, if we allow idols to distract us, we are assisting in the great deception. And the blessing of God cannot fall on our lives. The blessing of the enemy could. He could try to lull us away from the Lord. He could try to get us focused on something that doesn't matter, make a hill of beans to the kingdom and, and, and cause us to live a, a dualistic life where, where we know we got Jesus over there, but I've got things to do over here. It just didn't work that way, man. It's you and Jesus, man. I'm covered in Christ, and I follow him, and he leads me. He leads me on whether I should go to this place, whether I should go eat with these people, whether I should go, no, I don't have time to do that, whether I should go on this trip, who I should invite to go with me on this trip, whether I should take this job, whether my kids should be in this sport or not, whether I should be connecting with this family or not. That's the way a citizen of the kingdom is supposed to live. Eyes wide open. I have eyes to see. I have ears to hear. I hear the voice of the Lord. He is the good shepherd. The thief cometh not before to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I belong to the good shepherd. And he leads me, and I'm sealed of God, and if I'll listen to him, he will give me life of abundance, and people will find life as well as I walk in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the sealed of God. The Lord is in control of the universe. And what we should be committed to is learning how to harmonize with his sovereignty. Just harmon like sing harmony with the Lord and quit asking him to sing harmony with you. He doesn't understand your music. He only understands his. And if you want to sing in his heavenly choir, you better learn to follow his lead and quit asking him to sing off key. And when you do, your life will be a melody to the Lord, man, rising up, and he will use you in ways that you never could imagine. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And my message of encouragement to you today is sow the good news into your life. And let your light shine. That's what the Lord wants you to hear. It's like, I mean, he's telling you, he's like, listen, team, here's how this thing goes down, but I've got you there. And for the generation that you're alive, this is what you do. You do battle against the great deception. And don't be discouraged if it seems like people are, it's getting really, really dark because it's going to. And it's going to keep getting darker and keep getting darker. And at the darkest hour, when it seems like it's all going to fall apart, the lightning is going to strike in the east and shine into the west, and the heavens will be rolled back like a scroll, and I'm coming back. That is the future, man. And so, like, whatever we face, we just keep our eyes focused on the king and know that we belong to him. Be not discouraged. Like, if God is for you, who can be against you? Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.